Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. Point family and uh, man, happy free T-shirt weekend and um, really, really excited about the weekend. Hey, if you got your Bibles, head over to First Samuel seventeen. First Samuel seventeen and um, hey, while you're turning there, um, I mentioned something last week at the end of my message and uh, I want to follow up on something I said uh, because I want to show you how God can take bad things and redeem all things for good things. Okay, so at the end of last week's message, I was just kind of you're really honest. It was kind of a tough couple days. Um, because I, I've been spending time with a, a family on the phone um, who nine days ago, so it's two days before I preached the last message, um, a young man in our church, great Christ follower, a guy named Blake Christie had died in a plane crash. And uh, 20, he was 27 years old. And um, I was on the phone with his wife and uh, all this week, just been ministering you know, to her and praying for them. And uh, his wife let me know, his wife Brittany let me know that um, the day he passed away, so last Friday, one of the last things he ever did is he attended a morning Bible study with some, with some dudes from his life group studying Proverbs. And uh, he had texted some of the guys that he wanted God to use his life to bring some of his lost friends to Christ. And uh, obviously by the end of the day, um, he was hugging Jesus. Uh, well, this week, uh, you know, throughout the week they were praying and um, I just got word that, fr- that Saturday, so yesterday or Friday, two days ago, um, when he had um, his funeral service, all of his lost friends were there, and more than 50 of them gave their lives to Christ. Y'all, that is, uh, man, that's it, man. And so, man, God can take bad things and redeem all things for good things, for his glory. So, man, that's awesome. Well, hey, um, here's who I are this week. Um, I'm really excited. We are in week, I think, four or maybe five, I don't know what it is, of a series that we are calling Hills and Valleys. And um, I love series like this where here's all I'm doing is we are taking all of these moments in the Bible where people have these unique encounters with a living God um, on mountains and in valleys. And uh, if I'm going to condense like everything the Bible teaches on this into two sentences is this, is that While we experience God on the mountaintops, we become like him in the valleys. And that just like he's the God of the mountaintops in your life, he's the God of the valleys too. He's just at work right there. And uh, and what we're doing is, I'll be really honest, the whole thing, we are leading up to Easter where we're going to hit Mount Calvary because that mountain held a tomb, but that tomb couldn't hold a body. And if the tomb is empty, y'all, then anything's possible. And, uh, And so we're leading up to that deal. And this week we're hitting a valley. Now, I'm going to tell you the valley, and, uh, and you know the story that happened in the valley, but you probably don't know what happened in this valley. Um, today we're hitting is the Valley of Elah, okay? Valley of Elah, 1 Samuel 17. Now, um, to lead into this, um, let me lead into it like this. Um, there was a man who went to a doctor, and uh, walked in the doctor, and uh, he said, Doctor, um, I got something weird going on. 
everything on my body hurts. And the doctor looked him up and down. He was like, man, like, God looks totally fine. He said, everything hurts? He said, yes, everything hurts. And so, well, well show, me, show me what hurts, the doctor said. And so, the, you know, the guy touches his forehead and he says, ooh, you know. And then you know, the doctor says, well, what else? And he touches his stomach and the guy says, ah, you know. And then he says, well, what else hurts? And the guy leans down, he touches his shin, he says, ee. And then he says, doctor, do you know what's wrong? And the doctor says, yeah, I know exactly what's wrong. You idiot, you got a broken finger. You know, <laughs> that's it, okay. Now, here's what I'm pointing out, is that sometimes there is one thing that can affect everything. That one little thing can actually affect everything else in your life. That is exactly what's going on in the Valley of Elah in 1 Samuel 17 in this very famous Bible story almost everybody knows, the story of David and Goliath. Now, what we know is this was an event that happened in the Old Testament. But what the New Testament says is that the events of the Old Testament were types and figures of spiritual realities we all face, that everything that was written before the Bible says, Jesus said, was written for our instruction. And so this story isn't just about David conquering Goliath in the Old Testament. What I want to talk to you about today is the spiritual reality of you facing Goliaths in your life, that this is a spiritual type of something that will and is happening to you in valleys in your life. Now, let me start right here because I wanna make this very poignant. I actually want you to fix something in your mind. So what I wanna do is start by giving you what Dr. Tony Evans calls an anatomy of a Goliath. By the way, a lot there's a, a few different points in this message that came from the great Dr. Tony Evans. This is one of them, and this is how he describes it, an anatomy of a Goliath in your life. Now, what is this, okay? A Goliath in your life is something that looms large, is a situation that towers over everything. In fact, we might say it like this. It's the one thing in your life that seems to affect everything, a one thing that becomes overwhelming. We are told in this passage that Goliath was between seven and nine feet tall, depending on how you interpret this passage. Um, We are told that his uh, armor weighed 125 pounds. Dude was wearing two middle schoolers, okay? This is a, it's a, a big thing. So it's something in your life that becomes so big that it's overwhelming. Now, here's number two. It's something that intimidates you. Um, it produces insecurity in you. In both verses eight and verse 24, it says that when they saw Goliath, they, quote, trembled in fear. It's the thing in your life that when you think about it, you talk to it, you relate to it, you meditate on it. It's that thing where you stop being able to control your emotions or your desires and you can't control yourself because Goliath is controlling you now. So it's something overwhelming. And the problem with this one thing that affects everything is it just won't go away. We're told, I think it's in verse 40, that day after day after day, Goliath came and he taunted the people of God for 40 consecutive days, day after day after day. The Goliath in your life is probably something that is a week after week in your life. It might be a year after year. For some of you, it might be decade after decade, but it just won't go away. It continues taunting you and watch this. Goliath, it's the thing that stands between your past and your future. 
is the thing that stands between the promises of God and the payoff. And you gotta understand this. Remember, God had given the children of Israel a promise that they would inherit the promised land, but always between the promise and the payoff, there's always a process in your life. And watch this. The, between the promise and the payoff, there's always a process, and the process is where, is where God's not changing uh, what's in front of you, he's changing you. He's preparing you for what he's prepared for you. And he does that in the valley. Now watch this. So God had given the children of Israel the promises they would inherit the promised land, but what stood between the promises and the payoff was Goliath. This will be true in your life. This is the thing in your life that like, it's, it stands between what you read in your Bible and the reality in your life. Now, if you look at your life, everybody that's within the hearing of my voice, there are different kinds of Goliaths. There's relational Goliaths. There's addiction Goliaths. There's vocational Goliaths. There's emotional Goliaths, depression, anxiety, mental issues. There's financial Goliaths. Uh, there's, uh, there's economic Goliaths, all these things. But whatever you're facing, here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to call it in your mind a Goliath because then you at least know it's gonna end up on the ground with his, with his head chopped off. You know that's gonna happen. So here's what we, I, want, I want you to fix that in your head. Now, number one, hermeneutically. So hermeneutics, when we use that word, hermeneutics is the art and the science of biblical interpretation. Hermeneutically, when we start looking at 1 Samuel 17, what you have to understand is especially in the Old Testament, repetition is always for emphasis. In the English language, we have over a million words. In ancient Hebrew, there was about 6,000. Now, here's what that means. In English, we have, if we want to emphasize something, we have a lot of words we can use to emphasize something. So if we want to say something's really big, we got a lot of words for that. We can say it's gigantic, it's enormous, it was monstrous, it's ginormous, whatever you want to say. We got a lot of words. But in Hebrew, they didn't have a lot of words, 6,000 words. So if they wanted to emphasize something, here's what they would do. They would just repeat it. Jesus does this in the New Testament when he's speaking Aramaic. Jesus will often say, Martha, Martha, repeat it twice. Or he would say, truly, truly, repeat it twice. Whenever Jesus does this, what the Bible's doing is often, it's, A, it's emphasizing something, but B, the Bible is often saying, hey, now I wanna go a level deeper. I want you to look deeper at what's actually happening. Now, there is something in this passage that is repeated twice, and it's repeated for emphasis. It happens in both 20, verse 26 and 36. Now, I'm going to read them to you, and when I read it, you're immediately going to see it, okay? So, verse 26, And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Now, verse 36, you're gonna see it again. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Now, here's what's happening right here. David is emphasizing, twice he says, uncircumcised Philistine. Here's what's happening. While everybody else is looking up here at nine-foot Goliath, David's looking down here and going, that guy hadn't been to the doctor. And what he's saying is, watch this, David is seeing past what is seen and physical, and he's seeing past what is seen and what is physical, and he's seeing into what is unseen and what is spiritual. Because circumcision was a sign of a covenant relationship with God. 
Every covenant that has ever existed has, there's a covenant and then there's a covenant symbol. The covenant symbol is a, is a visible representation of an invisible reality. So the, in the Old Testament, the covenant symbol was circumcision, visible representation of the invisible reality of a relationship with God. In the new covenant, that's what you and me are under, the, the, visible, the, the covenant symbol in the new covenant is baptism. That's our visible symbol of the invisible reality of having been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and raised to new life. A, a lot of you guys, even if you're not Christians, a lot of you have entered into a covenant in our culture. Marriage is a covenant. And our covenant has a covenant symbol. It's a wedding ring, visible representation of an invisible reality. Now, what David does in this passage is he sees into the spiritual. He sees past what is seen and physical and into what is unseen and what is spiritual. Now listen, when you begin to try to defeat the Goliaths in your life, here's step one. It always starts with you getting a spiritual perspective on the problem in front of you. You see, when you see only what you can see with your eyes, you miss all the things you cannot see. And watch this, what does the Bible say? It says, we do not see simply the things that are seen. We fix our eyes on the things that are unseen. You see, we see the spiritual causes of physical, visible realities in our life. I'll give you an example of this. It's like, um, this is like uh, the story of uh, the mom who had a son who lost one of his contact lenses. And he's outside playing on the ground, loses a contact lens in the dirt. And he comes back in, he says, mom, I lost my contact lens. I lost my contact lens. She says, boy, get out there and find it. And so he goes out into the dirt and he looks for over an hour. He's looking for his contact lens. And for over an hour, he can't find his contact lens. So he comes back in, he says, mom, I looked for an hour. I can't find my contact lens. She says, just a second, let me go find it. Mom walks out there. In two minutes, mom finds this boy's contact lens. She walks back in, she says, here it is. He says, mom, how is it that you were able to find in two minutes what I could not find after looking for one hour? She said, son, this is actually really easy. You and me were not looking for the same thing. You were looking for a contact lens. I was looking for $300. That's the difference right there, man. <laughs> now, now you see this, this your, <laughs> some of you felt that deep in your soul. <laughs> now watch this, when you're look, what you're looking at will affect what you see. And the whole purpose of the church and the word of God is to give us visibility past what is physical and seen and into what is spiritual and unseen. Now, here's what you're gonna see. When you see the problem differently, what will end up happening in your life is you will start to see the solution differently. There is a reason that the solution to a massive Goliath was a small boy. There is a reason for this. There is a deep spiritual principle behind this. Have you ever noticed this? When you read 1 Samuel 17, it is, it is stunning how frequently it highlights the diminutive nature of David. I mean, over and over again, a couple examples of this. So uh, it mentions that David's dad, Jesse, had eight sons and David was the youngest son. Now, this is a big deal because in the Old Testament, they practiced something called primogeniture. That's what we call it now. This was the practice of the power and wealth of the family always transferring to the oldest son and then power flowing through the oldest son. But David is all the way down here at the youngest son. He's the smallest one. I'll give another example of this. It mentions the fact that he was a shepherd. Now, some of you guys, because you've been in like the family Christian bookstore, 
And you've seen the little Thomas Kincaid painting, you know, the shepherd looks like he's got product in his hair, Eastern European and flowing, you know, no split ends. He looks great. You know, you're like, oh, shepherd, you know, that, that, that's really awesome. He must have had a really cool, wonderful, meaningful, sentimental job. No, shepherds, not a cool job. Like that's where they put the, the people who couldn't do anything else ended up as shepherds. All that, literally all they did all day is stand around other dumb animals. That's all they did all day. That's our whole job. Like if you were at least keeping some other animal, like hanging out with like lions or like bears, or you're like training horses, that's kind of awesome. The only thing lower than keeping sheep, keeping cats. That's the only thing lower than keeping sheep. But David was this dude that was like, <laughs> you gotta get it in there. This was his job, right? It, the third thing you're gonna notice is the only reason David is even in 1 Samuel 17 is because he's bringing stuff to the people that actually matter in the eyes of the world. David was sent by his dad to bring bread and cheese to the older son. He is one pepperoni away from being a pizza delivery guy. That's his own. And this is what we get. This is the guy that God chooses to solve this Goliath problem in his life. Now, spiritual principle here that you have to have to, to, to conquer these issues in your life. Listen to me. David's insignificance is a feature, not a bug. We see this everywhere in the Bible. The book of 1 Corinthians says it like this. It says that God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He has chosen what is wise in the world to shame the foolish. He has chosen what is not to shame what is. Why? So that no one might boast. Paul in the New Testament says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses because when I am weak, I am strong. Now what in the world is going on here? Why does it seem like weakness is actually the path to power in the kingdom of God. Uh, I'll give an example of this. So when God first called me to ministry, I was like uh, high school, college kind of thing. And I was like, well, I wanna learn to preach. So I started just listening to every preacher I could. There was a great preacher from a previous generation, a man named Adrian Rogers that I used to listen to Memphis, Tennessee all the time. I saw Adrian Rogers one time do the single most cruel and cool sermon illustration I've ever seen, okay? Now, I'm not gonna do what he did because I love you and I don't wanna embarrass anybody. But here's what he did. In a room, huge room like this with thousands of people. Now, again, when I say these things, don't raise your hand, don't speak up. You don't wanna be embarrassed in about 30 seconds. He told everybody in the room, he said, uh, he looked out of this room and he said, if you were the valedictorian or the salutatorian of your class, would you please stand up? Don't do it, okay? But this is what he said to us. And, you know, a bunch of people stood up, proudly stood up, you know. He said, if you were the captain of your sports team, would you please stand up? If you were the best behaved in one of your classes growing up, would you please stand up? If you earned a superlative in your yearbook, would you please stand up? If you were a homecoming king or a homecoming queen, would you please stand up? If you've ever uh, won a beauty contest or a pageant, would you please stand up? By the time he was done listing all these things, I'd say about 40 to 50% of the room was standing. And then he looked out at the room and he said this. He said, good news to all of you who are standing. Good news. We're all very proud of your accomplishments. And then he said, bad news. The people that God is most likely to use are sitting down in the seats next to you. Now listen, have you ever noticed this is what God constantly does? He takes what is weak and he makes weakness a vessel for his strength and his power. Man, you know, last week I talked about God using screw-ups. This week, let me talk about God using weaklings. 
So think about who God uses in the Bible. You know, you go through the Bible, and if you were to say, God's going to use you, Josiah would have said, I'm too young. Abraham would have said, I'm too old. Moses would have said, I got a speech impediment. I stutter, and you want me to speak. Rahab would have said, man, my past is too messy. Hosea would have said, my marriage is too bad. Isaiah would have said, man, I already failed in ministry. Don't call me to another one. David later in his life would say, I had an affair. Either prophet Eli would say, my kids are in rebellion. The apostle Paul would say, man, I just keep getting stoned. He's talking about rocks, okay? Rocks right there. <laughs> Somebody at White Rock is like, that'll be my ministry. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> Think about Jesus. What does the Bible say about Jesus? You know what it said about Jesus. He said he had no form of majesty or beauty of appearance. Now, why is it that in the Bible, God constantly, it's weakness is the doorway to strength. Why does God constantly do this? Well, listen, God doesn't use David in spite of his weakness, but because of it. Here's why, Zechariah 4, 6. God says, "Not listen, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That's it. And here's how the human nature works. We are fallen people with a bent towards self-reliance. So here's how we will work. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We are the kind of people who, if we have might or we have power, we will depend on that instead of the spirit. And sometimes what God has to do is he has to reduce you to nothing. He has to bring someone in weakness so that he finally has somebody who will lean into dependence on his strength. In fact, let me just say it like this. This is so important. I just want you to see it. Weakness is an advantage because dependence is the goal. That's actually the entire nature of the Christian life. The central thing is faith. It's dependence on, some, on a power outside of ourselves. Now watch this, so that's step two. You gotta see past what's seen into what's spiritual, the spiritual solution. But then you've gotta bring spiritual, once you see the spiritual, you're gonna bring spiritual solutions. When you see the spiritual, you'll start depending on the spirit in your own weakness. That means you'll start going to the word of God to diagnose your path forward. You'll look for leadership from the Holy Spirit. You'll seek wisdom from other Christians. And once you do that, that's gonna to lead to something. Now here's what's interesting. When you read 1 Samuel 17, when David, this brings us to the pivotal moment, the slaying of Goliath. When David in this passage talks about the slaying of Goliath, he describes it in some very unique ways, okay? So long story short, so they, they, you know, they, they come to David and uh, David's like, I'll fight the guy. And uh, King Saul is like, are you kidding? You're a shepherd. You're like, you're, he, he says, uh, this guy's been fighting from his youth and you are buddy youth. That's like an ancient Hebrew way of saying he's got underwear older than you. And, and, and David comes in and, and what he does is, uh, right here is, uh, he here's what he says. He says, when I was a shepherd, David says, sometimes a lion or a bear would come and try to attack my flock. And David says, whenever the lion or the bear came to attack my flock, he said, when the lion attacked, I ran to the lion. When the bear attacked, I ran to the bear. And just a few verses later, when Goliath attacks, the Bible says that David ran towards Goliath. Now, there's a spiritual principle here that's going on. When you begin to trust in God, you see the spiritual, you depend on the strength of the spirit, this changes you where you're no longer playing defense. You start becoming an offensive Christian instead of a defensive saint. Jesus gave this, let me say it, I'm gonna explain it. Jesus gave this principle, remember what he said? He said it in Matthew 16, 19. He said, whatever you bind on earth, I'll bind in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, I'll loose in heaven. 
In other words, he's saying, when you are aligned to the will of God and operating in dependent faith, he's saying, when you move, heaven's gonna back you up. You move, heaven's gonna start to move. Now, you're gonna see this pattern. If you read your Bible, very often when God supernaturally moves in the scriptures, he moves after one of his children take a step of faith. Think about this. God told Moses to hold out his rod. And it wasn't until after Moses held up his rod that he parted the Red Sea. He told uh, Joshua when they were crossing over into, uh, into the promised land, he said, man, tell all the leaders, I'm gonna split this, split this river, the River Jordan. And the Bible says it wasn't until, quote, the leader's feet touched the water, then God parted the waters. He told Peter to cast his net on the other side before he filled it with fish. He told Marcia, he told Martha to move the stone in John chapter 11 before he raised the body. There were a group of lepers one time that Jesus healed. You remember what Jesus said? He said, go show yourself to the priest. In other words, go present yourself to the priest in accordance with the Old Testament commands. And this is what it said. It says, it says quote, as they were going, they were healed. Now here's what's happening. Faith activates the power of God. Yeah, see, what's happening here is God wants you to walk by faith, not just talk by faith. God wants motion, listen to me, not just emotion. He wants motion. In fact, I'm gonna pause right here because this is really important, all right? In fact, this misunderstanding that the mark of faith is emotion rather than motion is one of the greatest ploys of the enemy to paralyze Christians, right there. Now, I'm gonna say it, let me explain it. This right here is why most people, in fact, let me say some, but maybe it's most. Some people never deal with a Goliath in their life because they're waiting until they don't have any fear before they begin to act in faith. If you are waiting for that, you will never act. Now, I wanna show you something about the nature of faith really quick so you understand this, all right? So before I show this picture on the screen, um, a few years ago in 2018, um, I had a chance to go skydiving. It was awesome. It was like, Really, really awesome. So, you know, we did the whole thing and they, they take you in the deal, the hangar, and they show you all the videos, you sign all the forms, all this stuff. And, and then they fly you up to 12,000 feet, they open a the door, you jump out. And y'all, when that happened, it was for, I actually wanna show you a picture of like one of the pinnacle moments of pure joyous bliss in my entire life. It was this moment right here. Look how happy I am. You know, it's like for just a couple minutes, you're like Peter Pan. It's amazing, all right? So this, one of the greatest, most fun moments of my life right here, all right? Now, in a second, I'm gonna show you a moment that was not quite as great. Here's the moment that's not quite as fun. It's this moment, okay? That one right there. Now, in right here, when I jumped out of that plane, um, I am 80% sure I didn't scream a cuss word, but I'm 100% sure I thought one is one of those things. <laughs> and, uh, and, and here's what, now, I jumped out. I did, nobody pushed me, I jumped out. I'm, I'm holding on to that, all right? Now, I wanna ask you two questions about this moment. So think about this, let me, let me seed the room. I did jump out on my own accord. Now, let me, let me ask you two questions I want, I want you to answer out loud. Question number one, do you think in that moment I had any fear, yes or no? Yes, yes that's exactly right, I did. Now, but I also jumped out, I did. On my own accord, I jumped out. So let me ask question number two. Did I also in this moment have enough faith in my parachute to jump? Yes or no? Yes. yes, I did. Now, here's my point. Can I just point this out? Let me bring it right here. Look at this. Faith does not eliminate fear, it overrides it. 
You say, this is really important for you to understand. Faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is a trust in something greater than your fear that enables you to act in the face of your fear. If you misunderstand this, you will spend your entire life waiting, thinking, I gotta wait until I don't have any fear, and that will be the sign that I got faith. And Satan will use that in your life to paralyze you from ever acting ever in your life. In fact, if you are waiting until you feel comfortable until you go to Regen, you will die an addict. If you are waiting until you're not nervous to share your faith, your friend will never hear it. If you are waiting until the reconciliation conversation won't be uncomfortable, you and that person will die estranged. And if you never do it, listen, you will be ruled by your giants. See, we must act in faith. Now, I just wanna point this out, all right? Let me just tie a bow on this moment. So this, you understand, 1 Samuel 17 is not the first time in the Old Testament the people of God had come face to face with giants. All the way back in the book of Joshua, you remember what happens? All the children of Israel, they come right up to the border of the promised land. And Joshua take, or, or, uh, they send 12 spies of whom Joshua was one. They spent, send 12 spies into the promised land. Remember those 12 spies, they, they look at everything, they come back. Two guys, Joshua and Caleb, actually I'm gonna do the bad guys first, okay? 10 guys come back and they go, oh, no way. There's no way we can take this land. There's giants in the land. There's, that's what it says. There's giants in the land. They are more powerful than us. We ought to honestly just wait. Maybe God will eventually do something to get rid of them. And then once God does something to get rid of them, then we'll come right in. But we're too scared. There's no way we can defeat these giants. But two guys, listen to the names, Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb came back and they said, this is ours. They went, the, you know, the fruit is enormous, grapes the size of your head, watermelons the size of beach balls. You know, it's milk and honey flowing. And this is what they said. They said, yeah, there's giants in the land, but our God is bigger than the giants in the land and we got a promise that he's gonna do something. Let's go up and take it. That's what they said, okay? Now watch this. Can I make a point? I wanna make a point. At all of our campuses, I wanna make a point right here so this solidifies itself in your spirit. I'm gonna read the names of all 12 of those spies that went into the promised land, if you have ever personally met someone who has one of these names, raise your hand when you get to that name, okay? Shamua. Okay. Shaphat. Anybody? All right. Egal. No? All right. Palti. Anybody? I got nobody at Rockwall. Okay. Gadiel. These names are available if you're pregnant looking for baby names. These are available, okay? <laughs> Gadi, Amiel, Seether, Nabi, my personal favorite, Giuiel, okay? Now, Joshua, you, you better raise your hand. <laughs> Caleb, here's my point. The only people who get remembered are the ones who live by faith. No one gets remembered who lives by fear. And you are going to have to have a faith inside of you in the God that is for you so that you can act in the face of a giant that is against you, a Goliath that's in front of you. See, we must, it come, there comes to a point where you have to act in faith. Now, once you've done this, you've seen the spiritual, you've depended on the power of the spirit, uh, you're, you're taking action in faith. Here's what you gotta do is you've got to, you've got to well, actually, let me point out the passage. I'll tell you what it is. So first, it's verse uh, 1745 says this. Watch what David says. He cries out to Goliath, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the what? In the 
Name, that's important, the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now, the name is really important. In the Old Testament, there are at least 85 different names of God. So right here, in fact, if it was still up there, it says the God of the armies. The, the, the name right there is Jehovah Sabaoth. That means Lord of hosts. So what he's doing, he's saying, you come to me with sword and spear, I come to you in the name. And he calls God Jehovah Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. And what he's doing, he's saying, I'm coming to you in the warrior name of God because I am in a warlike situation. See, he's drawing down from heaven the name of God that is applicable to his scenario. See, this is what God always does in the Old Testament is he reveals himself with a name that is a subsequent to, that correlates to the need of the moment. So for instance, when people were sick in the Old Testament, he said, well, that, that's okay. I'm Jehovah Rapha. I'm the God who heals. People would be in need in the Old Testament. He said, well, that's okay. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm the God uh, who meets your needs. I'm the God who provides. This is why when he comes to Moses, he tells Moses in the burning bush, he says, what's my name? I am that I am. In other words, I am whatever your situation calls for. That's what he's saying. Now, if you are facing a Goliath in your life, you've got to identify the Goliath. You've got to call it what it is. You've got to find out what God's word says about what you should do. You need to address any sin that you or somebody else has committed that has caused it. You need to begin to act in bold faith according to the word of God, uh, you know, in, in a dependence on his spirit. But then what you need to do is we need to call down the name of God that's applicable to your situation in prayer. And let's see if we can get some heads chopped off of some Goliaths for the glory of God in his name. That's what's going on right there. Now, let me close with this. So um, my youngest daughter, Felicity, when she was uh, really, really young, she got attacked uh, by a dog in my parents' neighborhood. The dog's name was Ridge. And it like, like really mangled up her leg pretty bad. And, you know, that happens when you're really young and she just, she's, you know, carries like a bit, bit of a fear of dogs. And so a couple of years ago, we first moved to Texas. We're walking around our neighborhood and Felicity from the other side of the street, she just screams bloody murder, ah, you know? And she starts running at me and there's this little dog, I mean, it's little. Yeah, you're gonna have to, the camera's gonna have to come way down because dog was like this, man, little dog, little Yorkie. And he was just nipping at her heels. I'll never do this for you again. So get in, you know. And then, row, row, you know, and, and she's screaming, ah, ah, dog, you know, row, 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 nipping at her heels. And eventually she came and she jumped up in my arms. And the dog's still down here. It's nipping at her, you know, her, her little ankle. Row, 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 row. And all, while the dog's barking at her, she looks at me and she's looking at the dog. And then she looks back at me. She looks at the dog. She looks up at me. She looks at the dog one more time and she goes, now, let me tell you what happened in that moment. Because the dog was still there, it had the same bark and the same bite. Here's what happened. She was in the arms of somebody that was stronger than the thing that was facing her. See, y'all, what we're seeing in this passage is you are in the arms of somebody that is stronger than the Goliath that is facing you. And you, God wants you to come against that thing in the presence of his uh, spirit, in the power of his word, and chop some heads off, man. Now, let me, let me I wanna land the plane right here and actually just, for one second, I want to apply this to the church and to the world. Man, right now, a whole sermon coming on this later. Uh, just, this is just a, uh, so, that's some other time. Right now, I feel like when the church is looking out of the world right now, it's almost like there's this spirit of timidity and fear that it feels like it's creeping over the people of God. 
And when we you know, read about the promise of God in the scriptures and we're thinking about the future, I feel like a lot of people are kind of going, yeah, oh, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen to the church, Josh? You know, what about secularism? What about rising godlessness and opposition to the gospel in our culture? What about Gen Z's rejection of historical Christian ethics? And I wanna say, yeah, but what about our God? What about him? And what God's doing is he's saying, hey, I want some people to take some small steps. David picked up small, five small smooth, smooth stones. Take some small steps that can have massive generational impact if people are willing to step forward in faith. Now, let me apply this to this moment in our church right now. All right, now, listen. If you serve weekly at Lake Point, like if you're regularly on a volunteer ministry team, I'm not talking to you. You just keep doing what you're doing, okay? Here's what I'm talking to If you do not serve on a volunteer ministry team at Lake Point, I'm gonna ask you, here's what I'm gonna ask. In two weeks on Easter, I'm gonna ask you, listen, I'm not gonna ask you to join a volunteer ministry team for the rest of your life. You don't have to stay there until Jesus returns. I'm gonna ask you to do one small thing that can have a massive impact. I'm gonna ask you to give us one week. Just serve for one week on Easter in one of two teams, either our host teams or our kids ministry teams. Now, listen, here's why I'm asking this, okay? Because y'all, in two weeks, because of the grace, power, and favor of God, we will cram more than 40,000 people into services at Lake Point in one week. In one week, that's amazing, in one week last year, we saw more than 1,000 people cross a line of faith and begin a relationship with Jesus in one week. And can I be, that's that's awesome, man. That's amazing. We're praying towards that. But listen, that can only happen. Something like that can only happen if there's a moment where the entire gathered people of God step forward in an all-in moment and go, I'm in for a small action that can slay a large Goliath and have massive outcomes. So here's all I want you to do, all right? Would y'all take out your phone? Everybody, even if you're not gonna do it, just take it out. It makes me feel better and boost my self-esteem. And Take out your phone. And if you'd be willing to do that, that's for real, that's all I'm asking. If you don't serve on a volunteer ministry team, I'm only asking for one week. If you'd be willing to give us one week on either our host teams or our kids' men teams on Easter, would you right now, like literally do it right now, text the word serve to the number 20411. Text serve 20411. You're gonna see this. It's a little, this is a screen, you're gonna get, get this over here actually. You're gonna get sent a link and you click that link. This is all we need. It's super easy. Just name, email address, phone number. And then down at the bottom right here, you're just gonna choose which, oh my, okay. I want, I've always wondered if I go behind it or in front of it. I go behind it. You're just gonna choose one of those two things. Either, uh, there it is, there it is, right there. I don't know how weather men do this. This is amazing. <laughs> you're either gonna choose the kids or the host teams. Those are the only two that we need. So do that like literally right now, all of our campuses. Just if you give us that one week, uh, text serve 20411 and y'all let's go out collectively as the people of God. Let's slay some giants in his name, man. Let's do it. All right, man. Hey, I, I wanna go ahead and begin praying towards that. So if you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. And Father, one, I pray for the individual disciples that are like right here. God, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. I pray that in a fresh and new way, they would be leaning into depending on the supernatural power of your spirit. That dependence, dependence, God, that dependence would become the deepest narrative in our souls. So Father, I I pray for those things to begin to fall in front of your people. God, I pray for us at church. I pray that... um, 
that in all those conversations where people are inviting to Easter, talking talk about those things, that your spirit would go before us and that something would be happening in the hearts of those people who are close to us but far from you and that their hearts would be open to a little invitation that God, you would actually move, they would come under conviction and they would come to Christ on Easter. I'm just praying that in a bold, straightforward way. God, we pray for a great harvest of salvation on Easter. So God, would you please do it? Gather your people to assemble and serve as one. We pray it in the crucified, risen name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.